Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tom Ray's Art Podcast. I'm Tom. On today's show, a person had contacted me who asked if I would like to talk to a playwright, uh, basically asking if I've ever had playwrights on the show. And it's funny, this is the same, uh, a few years ago, a writer had contacted me in the first season of the podcast that I did and said, uh, do you consider writers artists? Because it's called Tom Ray's Art Podcast. And of course I do. Anybody who creates anything out of their head and turns it into something is an artist, uh, music, crafting, uh, stories. It, I don't, I don't have a set thing for what artists are. And, and so of course I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. Plus I'm fascinated by playwrights. The process of directing people and like the way that things have to be adapted for a stage layout. Fascinating. So we talked today about, uh, the early beginnings of becoming a playwright when the person was a child, uh, moving on to high school and then actually taking a break for several, several years and getting back into, getting back into writing plays because of the internet, because of finding message boards and being inspired again. It's a great story. Plus the person has opportunities that just keep arising. When they went back into writing plays, one of the first ones they did got picked up and was performed in New York. This person lives in Iowa and was contacted by New York to do a play on, I believe they said 42nd street. So it's a fascinating story. It was really fun. I was glad to meet the person. I'm glad they reached out to me. So here is my interview starting right now. I'm Amy H. Peterson. I'm a playwright. I write women's stories. And first of all, where are you based out of? I'm based in Esterville, Iowa, which is on the border with Minnesota. And so our area is kind of called the Lakes area of Iowa. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of diversity. And for a small place, a lot of things going on. How long have you been there? I've been in Esterville for seven years. And I grew up in Northwest Iowa. So Okay. All right. So it's not like you lived somewhere else. That's kind of our big city for the region. And that's where I grew up. Okay. All right. So you're, you're still around like where you grew up and stuff. It's not like you came, you lived like a hundred miles of my original home. Okay. All right. And then, so you contacted me because, uh, you, you, you contacted me and said, uh, do you talk to playwrights? Or, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, why not? It's, <laughs> sure. That's, that's fascinating. So how, first of all, uh, so you, uh, wh- why are you a playwright? That's when I first thought about it, I'm like, oh, that's really neat. But then I'm like, I've never met a playwright, first of all. And second, wh- how does one go, I'm going to write plays, you know? So how, why did you choose to go <laughs> into writing plays? Like, that's fascinating. Okay. So, and I, I actually have this in common with several of the playwrights I know. There are a number of playwrights whose narrative will start. I just had an idea for a story, and I started writing plays when I was eight years old. And that happened to me, too. And I had two best friends. And I think from birth to age 99, if there are three women together, there's going to be conflict. Okay. And so... My mother was an artistic person had taken me to the theater uh-huh. and I'm not really sure how I knew to write a script, but I start writing this script about our fight. And of course I played the character of the wise, wonderful friend who helped everyone work it well, out. Cause you're writing it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Cause I'm writing it. And 
So we dressed up in my old ballet costumes. We're out in the front yard running back and forth. And they're reading their lines from this play. I'm like, they're doing it. I asked them to read these lines. They're doing it. They're doing pretty well. And yeah. from then on, I thought I'd direct because that's just so much power, intoxicating power to think I wrote this. They read it out loud and this story took place. And it's interesting because it could go two different ways and it makes sense. Like, okay, so you said you were eight when you did this, which that's fascinating. And also it's like, yeah, of course, it's like we're going to put on a play or we're going to it's playing. It's what you do when you're eight. So that makes sense. But at the same time, it's like it's uh, you could have also just written it in a journal and then all of a sudden you're writing, you know, a diary for But you didn't create that's that's the part that fascinates me is you're like. You, you made a play out of it, but then you, it like struck with you. And I, I, I like that. So, and uh, where did it go from there? When was that the moment where you're like, this is, I'm, I'm going to continue to do this. Like that's when you decided to just go, I'm going to keep writing plays. I didn't have much of a concept of, you know, what I wanted to do when I grew up. My cousins were much older than I was. And I knew that they were going into engineering and they were going right. into business and a lot of things I didn't really understand and sounded dull. <laughs> so <laughs> eight and nine and 10 year old, I'm like, what are you engineering? So you draw the plans and they build it. That's kind of cool. And kind of not he even now nuclear- that description i was like i don't know what that is either and then you said it. it's like oh yeah. yeah that's drawing the the parts <laughs> okay well and he was in the navy and in nuclear engineering and it was just oh, wow. kind of beyond me i love steven he's hilarious he's smart but you know as a kid i'm like okay um, <laughs> right <laughs> so it just continued that I was playing. I was an only child and I discovered that if I went around at eight 30 in the morning to my neighbor kids houses and said, Hey, I want to do this play. I need a lot of kids for it. It might take all day. Of course, their mothers are like, yes. Art. <laughs> right. Go to the Hilgren's house, go to Amy's house all day. That sounds amazing. Yeah, a little bit of both. It's like, yes, you're being creative and and getting in the arts. And second, you're going to go somewhere else and they'll keep you occupied for several hours. Exactly. And so I got in some trouble getting into my mother's makeup and old clothes. I knew I wasn't (laughs) taking her good clothes, but it was still. And yet she couldn't get that mad at me because she was into the arts and theater and just thought it was really great and expensive for snacks and makeup. Oh, so she was, she was craft services. I I get it. Yeah. Yeah, she was. (laughs) I drafted her into craft services. That's a wonderful way to put it. So she has that on her bio. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But now from that, okay, so there's one thing doing it as a kid, but then how did it uh, change into, um, like, did you start doing classes for it? Did you start expanding on it? And and then suddenly you were making plays in high school. Like what was, what was the progression of, of setting this up as a child to where you are well, now? I had a long dry spell after um, about the fifth grade. Okay. So when I was in fifth grade, it was the early eighties and there was this scare with Tylenol in Chicago. I remember I that. Remember yeah. Detail, but people were poisoned by Tylenol. Yeah. I wrote this really creepy play about it that my the fifth grade teachers actually liked enough that we took the day off and performed it in no my way. elementary school. That was amazing. That's progressive. 
Yeah. And then after that, you know, okay, middle school and I wanted to fit in and not be as much of a weirdo. Didn't work, but I tried. <laughs> and uh, I kind of, I went to university, I majored in English, but by then my mom had passed away. And what the adults around me were telling me is, okay, it's very cute that you're a talented writer. It's wonderful that you like theater, but ultimately you're an only child your dad's a little older, you could be alone in the world and you should probably do something practical with your life. And up okay. to that point, I hadn't done a single practical thing with my life. So it was very scary and very. Well, what age, me. what age was this? So it was junior year of high school. Okay. So it wasn't high school. I, I just want to make sure. Okay. Yeah. Your life is going to change and you should probably think about the future because you might have to support yourself all by yourself your whole life. Yeah. I'm like, ick. Right. But at the same, I knew I didn't have it as bad as some other kids. And I thought, well, okay, I can compromise a little. And I did take playwriting in college, but quite honestly, university writing classes, much as I loved my professors, they didn't help me as much as learning other things about the world in anthropology and in criminal justice. And, um, you know, it was really all the other classes and the other interactions that were informing my art more than the writing workshops themselves. Okay. And did you, so in high school, were you directing plays or were you acting in them or both? In my high school, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for student directors. I'm sure I would have loved that. Um, I even tried to do tech, but there was kind of this guy who took complete ownership of audio visual and it wasn't for girls back in the eighties. So, okay. Um, and then I tried out for plays acting. I didn't get even a part in just about anything except the mass musical where everyone got a part. And eventually I convinced my dad to ask the theater guy at the school, what was going on. And it was because of my height, he said. I'm six foot one. And he was afraid the boys in the theater department would feel awkward if they had to act with me. Really? Yes. Huh. And it is true that all the starring theater girls were short. Uh So I just kind of let that go. I was in some college plays and I took acting in college. And Mm -hmm. That was amazing and also taught me a lot about my strengths and weaknesses on and off stage. Like what? What were some of those? Um, I had a lot more anxiety as a young person than I do now. So okay. it was actually hard for me to go up on stage. I would still do it, but I wasn't always great at it when I did. Yeah. And that's not uncommon, but not saying that it doesn't mean that it's not a bad thing. You know, it's yeah. Going on stage is terrifying. I I mean, even going, I don't know what it is about just like you could be sitting there talking to people in a room and it's perfectly fine, but then you have to stand up in front of them and they all have to look at you at once. And all of a sudden it's terrifying. It's the weirdest thing. It's (laughs) that difference, you know, (laughs) it's so strange. Um, And then what was, what were some of your strengths that you had that you discovered? I really liked doing character studies. I liked learning about these fictional people almost as okay. much as I like learning about actual people. All right. And just wondering what their hopes and fears were, what they, uh, you know, their subversiveness or anything that you could bring to the story. What kind of stories were you doing? So we were mostly doing scene work. I don't remember the first part of the title even, but it's something about man in the mood, 
marigolds and it's this okay. just a story about two siblings um i had a wonderful scene partner and i got to play the more introverted one so it worked out but it was also difficult to be have a circle of people all around and the teacher going right so what's this gonna be all about <laughs> i feel like that was probably a spot-on imitation of your, of your teacher i don't know the person but i'm like that seemed like you've done that before <laughs> a little bit specific maybe <laughs> That's funny. Um, and now, while you were doing this, uh, you were also taking classes for writing plays? I did. Wayne okay. Knudsen is a playwright and was a teacher at my university. Semi-retired. He only taught in the fall semester and he went to Corpus Christi for the spring semester. So it was hard to get into his workshop. Uh, it was mostly for upperclassmen, but he signed me in as a sophomore. So, Oh, Okay. I was able to be in that and also see what some of the upperclassmen and even grad students were doing. Um, as far as being a young person in university, my only regret is that I didn't listen to some of my friends and take some technical theater. They said I would love being behind the scenes and all the things they were doing. And I thought, well, I have to stay on a more practical track. And so right. I was also taking the teaching courses, not really invested and kind of knew I would drop out of the teaching program because I didn't really belong there. I liked instructional design. I liked educational psychology. Again, some of the behind the scenes things. So that's a lot about my early life writing. And then for a long time, I didn't write a whole lot because I got married, was raising kids, I think. People can relate to how that goes sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was creating things all the way through, but the message I'd gotten is you're not really doing it unless you're making a living out of it. And if you work some other thing, then you're selling out as an artist. And mm -hmm. so I'm caught in this thing where it was hard for me through my 30s, 20s to enjoy it because I felt all this pressure to make it monetized. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't really mindful at the time of what I enjoyed doing or what I could create and bring to the world, really, until I was almost 40. Really? Okay. And yeah. had you been actively uh, writing plays or doing productions or doing anything up until uh, or, you know, out of college or were there some you did, some not? Or did you stop completely just when you when you got married and I had kids? I stopped playwriting completely. I wrote some short stories. I was a freelance journalist, grant writer, all kinds of other things. But mostly I was, you know, working hard at jobs not related to writing. Is that the is that the selling out part that you're referencing? That uh, since you weren't writing it plays, is. you were... Like, so like writing articles is like kind of selling out rather than writing plays is what you're saying. I mean, to this microcosm of English majors that I was younger with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't see it I that way. Don't I don't feel it that way now. And we've gone through so many okay, different good. <laughs> experiences. Right. That how would I judge anybody for doing what they need to do? And I think far fewer people are judgmental of people, you know, yeah. people doing what they need to do and still creating art. And then the internet came to, consumer yes. life and so people can create what they create and they can have five followers or they can have five million followers and i think 
it's all it all fits. Yeah. Did did you discover the internet as a writer when it first started out, or not when it first started out? Because that's you know that's well, forever ago. That's when when forever it became when it become e- when it became easily accessible to most people. <laughs> yeah, right around uh, nineteen ninety nine two thousand. I finally was okay. An adult. So you, so what did you do? You uh, did, was there any sort of like aha moment or you just started writing a blog? Like I didn't, I remember when people started talking about blogs and I'm like, what's this, what's this word people keep saying, Yeah, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, and you're just writing about your day. It's like a public diary. Like it took me a while. Now I'm all about the internet and it's, you know, it's yeah. like, I was so silly back then. Um, but, but so what was your discovery and like maybe your foray into getting back into writing? I feel like the internet you're saying is kind of what brought you back to it. Well, before blogs, there were message boards and there were websites that you could join and discuss things with other people. And so I was making writing friends at various websites for writers. Yeah. Okay. And we created kind of a community and there were people who were kind of just starting out writing poems about their lives and everything, which was great. Yeah. And then there were those of us who wanted to have kind of deeper discussions about writing. And so regardless of my production at the time, I felt I grew as a writer because I had this community. What were some, and then what was the message board? It was sort of the first social media, but it was harder for every, you had to, did we even have Google then? No. I feel like I searched on Alta Vista or something. Yeah, too. I don't think Google came around till like the mid 2000s or early 2000s, if I remember yeah. correctly. Because I heard about it. I heard about it on television. I used to watch. Uh, there used to be a, a channel called Tech TV, and I remember they oh. came on and talked about like this new search engine, and it was called Google, and and it was like a big thing, and everybody was switching to it. So yeah, I think that came later. But what was the name of? It? So I remember when I first uh, started finding message boards, and mine were all about like hobbies and pop culture junk that I was interested in. But you, but yeah. I remember what they were. What were the boards that you were on that you? Because it's like one of those things where it's like it really is your first time meeting people that had the same interests and it was just it was a big deal right. what was what was the do you remember the name of the board that you were on or or any of the boards that you were using well i believe the first one i was on it was called mom writers and it was for moms who are trying to find time to write but okay they have a thousand screaming kids running around that makes stuff. sense so, yeah obviously um and that's pretty fun because those kids were babies, toddlers, preschoolers then. And now they're, some of them are in their 30s. Yeah. <laughs> they're adults out in the world. Some of these mom writers of littles are grandparents now. and mm-hmm. Pretty wild. I know. So, <laughs> so you started doing this and then what... Um... What was the, when did you actually start going back to writing plays? What was the, like, when did you go like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write a play. Like what, what finally prompted that? So all throughout, I had subscribed to Writer's Digest magazine. Oh, okay. And in the whole um, kind of implosion of brick and mortar magazine companies, Writer's Digest was going to close in about 2007. Right. And so... I made a last ditch order from their fire sale. And among those, they sent me this book called the big book of women saints. And I'm thinking this is interesting, but I'm not Catholic. And I don't know if stories of kind of subjugated women are going to help me more 
or a bunch of super religious content. But I started reading, and some of the stories of these women are amazing. And so I ran with one of them. Her name was St. Giovanna, and she was from Italy. And uh, she asked the question, does it seem right that we should give the worst to the poor? I thought, well, that's a really profound question. Mm -hmm. And she was very gifted. It, it came from her ability to get really nice donations to give to the poor from the rich people in her town and having these big, fabulous dinners. So I write this play with people coming to this fabulous dinner and telling their stories and slam poetry and it has a chef narrator and i just brought all of these pieces into it and it it worked okay and you found actors in a place to perform this or you're just saying the story worked um i found i sent it to um manhattan rep theater to their call for plays for new playwrights oh, cool. they wrote so i sent it about this time in 2000. 12, 13. Okay. And they write to me in August and say, hey, we really liked your play. Hope you send us others. We're not choosing at this time. And I thought, well, that's all right. Uh -huh. But then they wrote me back November 12th and said, well, we had a play drop out and we had really liked your play, but since you have to use our set pieces rather than trying to move a bunch of stuff into their walk up and New York, we didn't have this giant ever-growing table for you, but for no reason at all, apparently, in October, we bought these two folding banquet tables and think we can make it work. Can you have your play on our stage December 16th? So I'm sitting here in Iowa. Right. It's November 12th. <laughs> they asked if I could produce my play by December 16th and have it on stage. Knowing that I didn't have to get a venue. I didn't have to get a set. Okay. I had no idea what I was doing, but I didn't think the right answer was no. Uh -huh. Because I'm sitting in rural Iowa. 42nd Street in New York has called me. Which I'm like. Yeah. That's neat. I, I like, <laughs> yes, no problem. And so I get off the phone with them and I'm like, how? I turn to the internet again. I'm like, how do we get people together in New York City where I don't really have a connection? Mm -hmm. And so I was on Facebook and I started there, but there weren't that many people on Facebook then and not. How long ago was this? What was uh, so Facebook? This was 2013. I've okay. been on Facebook right. since 2006, but for the first three or four years, I was mostly bored with it. Would add a high school classmate here and there, but right. And most everybody was like, "Why would I want to post about every thought that I have online?" And <laughs> who, who knew how much I'm that sure would change? Shared, but yeah. all the same. So I went to Craigslist and said to the talent portion. And said, hey, who wants to be in a play? I guess I was and unaware there was a talent portion on Craigslist, but I guess I've never looked. But okay, is, good to know. All right. Gigs, and there's talent and there's crew and there's other things. Really? Okay. And I don't think that has changed much over the year. Probably it's hmm. reduced in usage. So I thought, I think this is where it's at. And so it happened. I got a director, an assistant director, 12 actors, someone who had mm -hmm. access to 
Lark Play Development Center so that we could sneak in late at night to have rehearsals. Okay. And I don't know how much we were sneaking because he really was working there. Yeah. And maybe he could get it for us. And uh, I'm so sad that Lark isn't there anymore. They had to close this year. Oh, okay. Pandemic, they kind of sold off the parts of their programs, but mm. they were wonderful. And so it worked right down to uh, I got to go to New York City for it. Yeah. I crowdfunded. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even at the last minute, I was running around Manhattan for various props from hanging wire to um, big jugs of water, I think. I okay. don't Wow. It's all kind of a blur and everybody contributed to it and it was pretty great. And from then on, I realized I think I'm an in- indie playwright now. Right. I joined the Dramatist Guild and have gone on from there. Yeah. No, I mean, if not, you've definitely got a crash course in it, I would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it kind of surprises me. It's one of those things where you always hear somebody going like, oh, we're not doing this right now, but we'll keep it on file. And it's like, yeah, sure you will. Your file is your trash oh, can, right? you know, but they really did come back to you and go, we did <laughs> like your play. We weren't just blowing smoke. You know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it, that actually is very hopeful. I, I like that. That's the way that that played out. That's instead of just like going mm-hmm. and they accepted it. Ta-da. You know, it's it's the coming back thing that's really neat um how long did it run for it was basically one long weekend which is what their play showcase was and it's kind of a it was kind of a low budget operation they have moved to a new place and have a lot more programs going on they've really innovated over the pandemic but I met a lot of people. I didn't get the big producer with the checkbook to come that I was hoping for, but right, yeah, <laughs> like in the it movies was really where great and it it stayed true to what people I'm writing about Midwestern people who aren't they're seen a different way because uh, maybe they dress a little differently, maybe they have a lot of tattoos. All that stuff is more new here than it is in other places i think yeah yeah although it's been kind of mainstream for the last 15 years i suppose yeah but in it it depends on how you take it like i don't mind it but it's the whole thing like it started with fargo in in really yeah you know in in basically it's just it's all about our non-reaction even though I disagree with that one, but you know, I get it. I get where they're coming from. And the other one, of course, is our, uh, our accent, which we're all oblivious to. And sometimes it's worth, um, truthfully, I did not know about our accent till I saw that movie. And then I noticed it and it's like, oh man, we really do go. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> I watched Fargo and I'm like, this isn't us. We aren't these people. Right I know. I know. One of those, one of those girls they were hooking up with said, well, I live in Fergus Falls, but I went to high school in White Bear Lake. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly <laughs> us. That is exactly what you say in a small town. Every one of us has said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right? awesome. That's, that's a good quote. <laughs> oh, man. It, yeah. And it, it, but now uh, also I wanted to ask, too, uh, when you were out there. OK, so you wrote this thing. And you're out there and you said you're running around. You're grabbing parts. And, and meanwhile, New York is towering around you. Um, yeah. But uh, 
how much direct, how much is a writer involved in the directing or is it different for indie plays than it is for regular plays? Cause the way they always usually in uh, like movies and stuff. And again, just referencing stuff that I feel like is kind of just doing a version of it, but like, it always seems like it's the director and it's, there's a play written and you just follow it and it's the director's vision, but it's like, as a playwright, how much of is that is of that is true? How much are you involved in? Well, it should be done this way, and actually, are directing, or were you just the writer and director? I, I guess I don't know what the process was for oh, that. I did not want to direct it myself before okay. I brought on my directors. We uh, we tried to have a virtual rehearsal, and it was to a precursor of Zoom. Okay. And so everybody could call in and we could see each other kind of really grainy, but then we couldn't figure out how to get people muted who weren't speaking. So we had all this feedback and just this auditory nightmare. And yeah. so I'm like, um, that's all for tonight. We'll try this again <laughs> yeah. later. Um, and I was happy to hand off the directing responsibilities. And while I wasn't a member of the, dramatist guild yet plays are different under the dramatist guild it's the writer's vision they own the work they don't option it to a production company or anything hence to change even one comma just about you actually have oh, to okay. contact the writer and ask them that's what Neil i wanted to know okay yeah was some people thought kind of a jerk. I think he has the right to do it if he feels like it. So a school had all was already in rehearsals for one of his plays and they contact his agent to ask him if they can just omit one swear word. And he said, absolutely not. It's mm -hmm. my play and you're going to perform it as written. And okay. I see both sides of that. They right. really should have asked first, but that's, that's the right a playwright has to their work. Okay. Wow. Nice. Okay. I didn't know that. And that's good to hear. I mean, that is because any other sense, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you give them the idea and they go like, yeah, 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 we get it. You know, like they don't have to read it. They yeah. just kind of read the opening thing and go, well, we're just going to wing it from that. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. You, of course it would be that way. And now I feel silly for asking that. <laughs> well, no, I don't think a lot of people know it because they're familiar with screenwriters mm -hmm. and a production company can option their work for years and years. And then it comes to the screen and it's not that much like what you even wrote because the director says, you know what? We need more penguins in this scene or whatever it is. They <laughs> think it needs. I like that. You just said penguins. Like, have you done a play where you needed more <laughs> penguins in a scene? <laughs> not yet but i'm rising to the challenge now oh yeah no i'm 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 waiting for that one let me know when that one happens <laughs> and they'll say i mean can we try to do project some cgi penguins i will say no you have to get real live penguins for i my did show. i did talk to a, a guy uh in a previous <laughs> podcast who actually does do that type of stuff like they build uh 3d models and light show not not even light show but light projections and other things for Ooh. stage plays and they do they have like a huge stage and they do yeah they do all kinds of crazy stuff and when i saw it it was uh, i mean i didn't i saw pictures of it from where he works but it was a fascinating conversation it was yeah all about what you were saying so yeah the cgi penguins thing actually could possibly be a like a projection it probably is possible i don't know i feel like i'd have to ask the guy if he's done anything like that he probably has anyway well uh, and no i wouldn't 
I wouldn't insist on any specific thing in sets or tech because I'd be so excited to see what they could do. Yeah. If they were challenged themselves. I like that what attitude. I, That's nice. Going for is kind of a uh, modern and darker theme. If you saw any of Baz Luhrmann's work, like Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and oh, Claire yes. Danes. Yeah, I saw that. So that's a little bit of the aesthetic I'm going for with classic theater elements. They're nevertheless also new and edgy, I hope. With that, like, what is your writing process? Do you have an overall outcome that you want to do? Or do you just kind of start writing uh, and then maybe rewrite when you figure out what you want to do? Like, what is the price process of sitting down and like going, these are people talking in stage directions. Like it, that's what I'm saying. Uh, this, this playwriting thing is fascinating to me because I know nothing about it. <laughs> I, for about seven years, though, I think I've been saying that for a couple of years. So maybe it's nine. Uh -huh. um, I've had a mindfulness meditation practice. So oh. I will go into kind of the state of meditation and then of all the writing classes and all the writing exercises I've ever had, the one that stuck with me is from Natalie Goldberg. And it just says, I want to write about. And you finish that sentence. You can say, I want to write about my grandfather's hat or I want to write about um, social justice or I want to write about penguins. Whatever it is, don't censor yourself, but okay. fill up half a notebook with that and from there I start thinking of the characters and then I print out kind of a coloring page of a brain and so it has different sections of the brain and I fill in what is on this character's mind and that's how I get to know know them a little bit wow there's always going to be a strong woman at the center and then I just kind of figure out have a good idea of who we're going to meet and what it's going to look like. And then I start writing. Sometimes I record myself having a conversation back and forth to see what I'm looking for, for the pace of the dialogue. That things. makes sense. Yeah. That that actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're writing a conversation. Yeah. Of course you have to hear the conversation. I would feel weird doing that personally, but I'm sure you're used to it by now. <laughs> I feel weird doing it. And I haven't been successful, but I haven't spent a lot of time to cultivate just people out in social media world or people I know here in town yeah. to sit with me and read a page or two and see how it sounds with two people talking. Cause that would be a lot better. And also just having someone else's energy and perspective, I think would build this art a lot. Yeah. I spoke with someone recently who talked about um, having a line reader. Uh, he actually mm -hmm. found a line reader that he could work with. That it, And the thing is, is the line reader would have him, would have the writer read the lines to him, I believe he said, so he could hear the story through his mouth rather than reading the story. And yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, things like that. It's I've, I've talked to a lot of writers this season. It's been very interesting. I'm, I, I've only spoken to a few over the past few years and I it's I'm I'm learning about a lot about writing. It's it's. I can't I can't put a sentence together, let alone say one. Apparently, I'm, I feel like I just made a very incomplete <laughs> sentence there. But I'm I am fascinated by writing. It's one of those things where I'm fascinated by um, what I can't do, <laughs> you know. And and I appreciate it. And I love storytelling so much. So um, uh, and that's a very I really like the uh, the meditation thing. Like how how long ago did you discover that meditation uh, method? 
I'm not sure. I mean, I okay. did some visualizations when I was in therapy in my 20s. It's just I saw it as more compartmentalized. Okay, we do this thing in therapy and then we go out and live our lives. I didn't know. Okay. I could or should do it continually. So I'm not sure how it came up. It was actually in the end of uh, my mental health play, which we kind of just called hashtag mental health play, but its title is Maximalista. Uh, She just, the main character discovers meditation for mental health. And so um, this, so the meditation teacher comes on and she has this t-shirt that says chill on it in the like logo lettering of Netflix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Netflix and chill because we've been talking about relationships and sexuality all through this play. Mm-hmm. So she comes in with her chill t-shirt and everybody sits and they have a meditation to calm their mind, to repair their trauma that's in their mind and things like that. So I'm incorporating that into my work as well. Hmm. Okay. It's, I like that a lot. It's just, it's even the the description of it is very, uh, I want to say theatrical. So <laughs> that's, I really <laughs> like the way that you laid it out. So it was, it, it was really cool. Um, and uh, so what, what would you say is the most difficult thing about uh, being a playwright about what you do? I think, I think just committing time to, uh, finish my plays i've driven crazy maybe lost my wonderful writing mentor because uh he gave me feedback Mm -hmm. on this new play i'm writing which i'm probably going to take a little pause from now see i try not to write it in the when we're kind of in the throes of a new instance of gun violence but i of course will never get it written if i wait until we've had some peace from it because i guess we're not getting any Mm -hmm. but the play has is about one of the incidents of of gun violence but he gave me some feedback to kind of overhaul the way the characters are dealing with it and identifying with each other which was great and i've had the last 15 minutes or so to write to tie it all together for a year Mm -hmm. or something because i'm still working as a journalist, I'm not just a playwright. And so the things going on in the world and the community and facts find themselves themselves in my work too. My ADHD or whatever's happening in my head can prevent me from, I mean, I don't sit down and write for 30 minutes a day systematically like some writers I know. I envy those people. It's never happened for me. Right. Everybody has a different method. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I hear a lot, cause I am able to go like, all right, I'm going to set 20 minutes aside for this thing and then 20 minutes for that mm-hmm. and kind of alternate. And uh, the thing I always hear is it's like, I can't, my mind can't shift gears like that. And it's like, for me, I can, it's like, because then when I'm working on the other one, my mind is kind of like, I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's easy and I'm able to overlap the two, but not everybody can work like that. You know, it's. Oh, it, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then uh, do you just kind of, when inspiration strikes, I mean, when do you when do you sit down and write? It varies. I'm I'm talking to you right now from the entrepreneur center in my community because oh. I'm doing this entrepreneurial. Well, my theater's sort of an entrepreneurial project too. But okay. Essentially, I have a fob to get in 
and I can work here and there's a co-working station. And so my goal is to set one, if not two days a week to just come up here and not do things for the newspaper and not get distracted by everything that's out there. Right. It's another thing. There's been a lot of transition that I haven't made happen yet, but I'm getting some help with some of the entrepreneurial work. And I think we're going to go from there, setting a new uh, ethic for that. Okay. And entrepreneurial work uh, such as what? Is it something you'd like to mention or? Sure. Um, so really about a year ago, I'm about to go to New York to celebrate the anniversary of this. Facebook or now Meta, set up this platform called Bulletin. And in addition to having uh, like Malcolm Gladwell and Malala on it, they also started with 25 local writers. And I'm one of them. And so I'm doing a bilingual newsletter about this rural community. Really? Wow. Yeah. Did- and they're paying me for it. That <laughs> was, it was a little like Wayne's World where I'm like, you're going to pay me to do Wayne's World? <laughs> but, because it's what I would do anyway. Yeah. So we're having a blast and uh, going into our second year of it, of two for the fellowship. After that, I need subscribers or something to pay for it. So it'll pay for itself. But. Yeah. And you're going to New York to do that. I'm going to New York just for the anniversary party Okay. at Brooklyn Winery. So I'm very excited about that. Then I'll come back here and report some more. <laughs> no, that's really cool. How did you, how did you uh, get involved in that in the first place? It was another thing where at first it was a rejection. <laughs> I applied. I should just keep applying for things and getting rejected from them, really. Right. I applied. You should for, go to Vegas, is what you should do. You're going to start losing maybe. and then make a big win. Yeah. Yes. Or no, no. Blackjack tables, nothing. The third one. Woo! No, what'll happen is, is you'll lose and then you go to leave and the casino owners will walk up to you and go, hey, we feel really bad that you lost. Here's a million dollars. That's how it'll play out. Okay. Well, so that's exactly what happened with NYU journalism. They were launching an entrepreneurial journalist program. Uh-huh. They rejected me from it as they did. I'm sure a lot of other people. So I kind of forgot. And then they wrote back to me and said, Hey, we were looking for ways to support your work. And I thought, well, one way would, would have been to admit me to your program. Right. But <laughs> they said, can we forward your name for this other new thing? And I said, sure. Forward my name. And, Within a couple of weeks, I found out what it was. I was blown away and we just started doing it. I love it. You're just like, yeah, whatever. Forward my name. Oh, by the way, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) That's another thing I've found about God in the universe. It is better to just release it. And if it's meant to be, it'll come back to you. Yeah. It's like that Amy Poehler uh, book that she put out where she just said yes to everything, you know, like. And eventually it led up to what she became. I don't remember the exact title of the book, but that, that was the concept of it was about how oh. she just said yes to any job that came her way, really. And uh, it kind of led up to something, you know, or not even questioning it. And it's. Yeah. And if it's not that one, there's the year of yes by. 
I love her and I can't think of her name either. That happens the to me all the time. The showrunner on Grace Anatomy and stuff. Hers is called The Year of Yes. Oh, and okay. I have that book. Of course, I haven't finished it, but <laughs> I do You don't know how it ends, but you're like, I, I get it. It's I'll, I'll, I'll do what I know up I to here. I love the energy. It's working. <laughs> oh, and uh, if people wanted to find out more about what you do and uh, all the uh, and you know learn more about you, where would where should people go to find out more about what you do? They can look for the evil good on bulletin. That's e apostrophe v i l l e. Of course, you don't use the apostrophe in the URL, but that's kind of my word for everyville. Um, that's. That's the reporting part. And then fiercegoodcauses.org is my theatrical website, which is not updated that often because that's who I am. <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> it was honest. You, you Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for uh, talking with me today and coming on here to tell me about what you do. That was great. Oh, well, thanks, Tom. 